Turn with me to uh, John chapter 15. As we continue, we have been in a series uh, that really has been life-changing for me, and I know for you, many have testified of abiding in the Lord, and just that key word, abiding. And that today, it's been almost a year and a half that we looked at John 15, and we're going to look at it a little differently today, but transformed to grow. I have been doing some thinking about what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. It's been really impactful as I, you know, I studied and I processed what's going on in the church today. And, and I, again, not, I remind you, not just, it's not us, but it's the church at large. Um, it's just the word growth just jumps up in my head. The, the importance that the church and we grow. Uh, it seems just absolutely clear, no, no question, that if, if we don't change the course of where things are, the church as we know it is going to um, melt away. It's, it's, and it's going to end up, and I, said, I found myself, um, I was thinking about it uh, throughout the week. I, I said these words, and I, I was, it really resonated with me. If we don't change this, the church will be dead. And the thought of even saying that is, is, is scary to hear that because this is probably one of the few times in my life and ministry that I, I see the, the terminal nature of the church today. And when you study as much as I and some of us have, when you look at church history and what's going on, the only response is to be alarmed and to think about what's happening. And so growth needs to happen. Uh, it's, it's like looking out at, you've ever had a garden that you didn't take care of, and you think, man, i got to do something about the other day, you know, I was just, this past summer, Lois was looking out at one of our side areas, and uh, we had a lot of, I mean, we had, you know, what, blueberry bushes and all kinds of really cool things, and she looked at that and looked at me and said, you know, you really need to do something about that. <laughs> and I said, you're right, we need to, we need to do, because things are not going to work so well if we don't pay some attention to this. I mean, what a great word picture, growth. And in Scripture, so much of that word picture really tend itself, lends itself towards planting the idea of a farm, a harvest, uh, the idea of plants growing. I mean, just the, when you think of growth and you think of, of a garden or vegetable garden, something you think of planting and watering, you think of dirt and fertilizing and weeding and all the fun things that can take place. Scripture talks about growth and, and how, what it's supposed to look like and, and who we are. And I'd like for you and I to nail this down because as we've looked at sharing and witnessing and, and talking about the Lord, I mean, again, it's critical. Now, the passage in Scripture that we know is so significant is Matthew that tells us uh, in verse 28, verse 19, 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's read that out loud together. Will you do that with me? Ready? Begin. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always. Get a minute of that? Yeah. It's interesting that when you read that, and I, I would imagine some of you know this, but I, I'm not sure the church has nailed this down. 
it says, go and make disciples, not converts. I'd like you to think about, there's a big difference between a convert and a disciple. And I, as I hear the language of the church today and our language, our conversation, we need to be careful that we understand our mission is to make disciples and not converts. Because often I believe that we have this crazy notion that we go out and somehow we make a convert, bring them into church, turn them over to the pastoral staff and walk away and say, God bless you, do the best you can. And that's not how it's supposed to work. The fact is, Matthew 28 makes it absolutely clear that we are called to help people grow in the Lord, carry the message on to others, and then those others receive the Lord, and then they in turn do the same thing. This is an ongoing process that should never, ever stop. I was thinking about some of the things we've done with Joshua men, Joshua couples, we've had um, uh, Joshua women, we, we've had the, the idea of just something that birthed probably, I was about almost 15, 18 years ago, and the Lord gave me a vision of raising up men and couples and women and just discipleship. And the message was, and a lot of you have been a part of that, the message was really simple. Come and let's hang out together for nine months to a year, and let's study together, let's Let's, let's grow together. I would even use that term when I would talk to people. I'd say, look, I want you to come and be a part of this. And this is not just a study for information. This is a growth time where you and I are going together learn more about the Lord and what it means to, to be a believer and study and, and, and pray and struggle and go through a bunch of stuff together. Amen. And here's the thing that we want to happen afterwards then when we're done, you in turn would make a commitment to go do the same thing with the group yourself. So here's the deal. I'll go ahead and give you my time, and we'll do this together, and the payback is, and you will go and get your group together and do the same thing, or a group like this. And it's interesting, it happened. Matter of fact, to the best of my ability, there have been actually, and this is, what, this is the kind of thing you want to really be thankful for, third-generation groups. Like a third generation, I mean, that's like, wow. So I have, did a group with some guys, and then they in turn did a group with some guys, and then those guys did some group with other guys. Now that's, that's a miracle. Is amen to that? And that's the kind of thing you want, because that's the very process of what God calls us to. It's, it's life. It's kind of what God set up in his creation, right? So what happens is a man and a woman... They find each other, they fall in love, get married, and then have sex. Well, let me say that again. There seems to be some confusion today with this. <laughs> so you find each other, you date, you get to know each other, make a commitment, get engaged, then get married, and then have sex. And then begin the idea of reproduction because then in many cases, you, you have children. And then you become parents. And then you raise those children. And you raise them in the things of God, in the things of life, so that someday when they become adults, 
they in turn will be successful, they'll be healthy, they will love the Lord, and they'll live life. And then guess what's going to happen? It's kind of like what happened. My son then got married. He found someone, and now, yes, they have produced a daughter. And now we have the whole cycle going on. Now they're in the process of raising their daughter. And that is the way that God calls us to do things. So that illustration is no different than the church. We do the same thing. Matter of fact, Scripture makes it very clear of how very important this process is. Look in 1 Corinthians. It tells us, For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father, for I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. Now that becomes kind of scary when you think about that, but the message here is very clear. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong in teaching and having teachers, but even more important is having parents in the Lord to raise you up. And when you think about, I urge you to imitate me. When I first read that, I, that makes me nervous. I read that, I go, right, I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul. No, that just ain't happening. But there's something about you think, well, now, how could I ever? But what he's saying here, imitate the process that I've entered into. He's saying, you can do the same thing. The parenting process, where it happens in church that we have new believers, and the new believers are parented, they grow up, and then they reproduce, and then they get a chance to parent, and on and on it goes. Why? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 tells, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced um, uh, when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. That ought to be the church today, that we speak truth rather than the world trying to speak truth into us. Don't you think it's kind of crazy? It seems right now the world's influencing the church more than the church is influencing the world. Somehow that's backwards. And we've allowed so much of the world to come in. It's now telling us how to think. It's talking and telling us about what boundaries we ought to have. It's going, rather than allowing, it's about the Word of God. And we read that. And how many of us are stuck being immature, children, because we're not growing up. And so the result of that, just like any kid, we are, we are tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, and man, people influence us, and they, they trick us. And so the Word of God is saying that this is so important, because look at only when we're the body of Christ can we serve the mission of Christ. We have to be a part of what's going on. Here's something that I've learned, that if you want strong kids, I'm not talking about perfect kids, I'm talking about strong, healthy children. And you've got to put time in them and parent them. It just doesn't happen magically. I think of all the things that I've heard over my lifetime, I've heard more people attribute the struggle and the trials they have to their family of origin. I mean, how many of us realize that we're battling something because of how we grew up, the lack the lack of boundaries or the lack of parenting and the education, and then we stumble into life and somehow hope that we can make it until, thank God, we find Jesus. 
and then we have a chance to learn from the Word and, and then others around us. And also, yes, I can live life now. I can understand how to live life. And life can be different than what I have had patterned for me. Because now, I, I mean, man, now we got a chance. Not that it's ever going to be perfect, but there's something very powerful about what can happen when we choose to involve ourselves in a process of learning and growing and conversation and asking questions, allowing for correction, encouragement, and strengthening, and loving one another. That's, that's the life of a believer. It's not a program not a curriculum, it's how you live life and how you engage in life. And it requires you and I, if we're going to grow, to talk about all this stuff. That's the very best place for this to happen. And we're slowly disengaging ourselves from one another. I mean, we're about discipleship and training and teaching God's Word so that you and I, and what ought this to look like? Now, let me clarify something. I want to be clear. This is, our life in God is not about a performance. Matter of fact, it's about grace. Now, I remember that in this conversation I've had, because actually we're having, it's kind of a cool conversation. Someone basically asked a question, was a young adult, and, and he was saying to me, so what you're telling me is that eventually all of this life's going to pass away and I'm going to go to heaven no matter what because I believe in Jesus. I said, yeah. So why do I have to do all this? Because if I get to go to heaven no matter what. So let me be clear. There is something very, the scripture, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Can you see a minute of that? Man, I am so good with that and unbelievably thankful for that. So let's nail that down that that, and as I told this young guy, I said, absolutely. You will receive the benefits. But here's the deal. You cannot grow without bearing fruit. And God has called you to be someone who reproduces. Otherwise, if you think about it, if we don't do that, the fact is the church will die. And things will not continue on. Here's what I've learned about baby Christians. They don't reproduce. Immature believers do not reproduce. God's called us to plant seeds. God's called us to water. God's called us to cultivate. You know, the other day I was, um, I was thinking about all this and I was at uh, Costco. Don't you love Costco? And I was thinking about, just because I'm thinking about grapes and vines and all this stuff, and so you know, I was at Costco looking at the grapes. And I actually was thinking about just different types of fruit, and there's all kinds of fruit out there. And I noticed at Costco kind of an interesting thing, because I was looking, and I, I love grapes, and I was looking at grapes, and I brought, these are Costco grapes. You see any difference between these two? You see any difference, like the size of it? Right? There, there's one very specific characteristic that's different between these two. Lees are seeded grapes. Lees are seedless grapes. 
Now it's interesting because as you study this, and I looked at it and did some homework studying the biology of grapes. I felt like I was reading human biology as I was studying this. And growth hormones. You know, they use growth hormones for some of and More information we are going to get into. But I realized, because I asked myself, that's interesting, because my preference tends to be seedless grapes, because seeded grapes, I mean, what do you do with the seeds? You spit them out. Gross. I mean, where do you spit them out? I mean, you're eating, the other day I was eating on the couch, and I, I had all these great seeded grapes, and I mean, what do you do with those seeds, right? So Lois brought me a little dish, put them in there. You know, I remember my mom saying, don't, don't spit the seeds out because you'll grow grapes under your bed. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the grapes to grow under my bed. What was interesting is that the difference is seeded grapes are larger than seedless grapes. Matter of fact, when they begin, and you look at some of the, I mean, they don't use Lee's grapes to produce wine. They use Lee's. Lee's are considered full-bodied, flavor, more flavorful. And I mean, I did a, I mean, you want to do a taste test with me? Go ahead, take a, these are clean, they've been washed. Go ahead, just, just, just taste that. You can give one to Julie, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Now what are you going to do with the seed? <laughs> oh, we have a Kleenex here for you. See, see, you see my points being made. What do you do with the seed, right? See, he's already turning red and embarrassed. Okay, go ahead, try one of these. There you go. Whoops, dropped it. A little different, huh? See, you know, when, when they, when they, here's how they describe the taste of this. This is You could actually look it up. They describe it. The taste of seeded grapes, they, they call the seedless grapes mild. They call the seeded grapes foxy. <laughs> These are foxy grapes. These are mild grapes. So what do you want, mild grapes or foxy grapes? What's interesting, though, when you read the description of seedless grapes, they call them sterile grapes. Because, now, I know technically some of you, your weight, I know, you're, I know how smart you are. There's little tiny microscopic seeds in there. I know they're not totally gone, duh. Okay, so, but they cannot reproduce. What's interesting, leaves, see, they develop leaves because there's people like me who don't want to spit the seeds out. So they developed through technology, seedless grapes, and, and develop this to be consumed only. Because leaves can reproduce, leaves cannot. There's a whole process required and necessary in order to reproduce a seedless grapevine. But this has life. This has death. And I got to thinking about it. This is the church. We consume. We're mild in flavor. And it's done. God wants us to be full of seed. Matter of fact, the seeds are good for you. There's all, I mean, I'll tell you the best thing to do is eat the seeds. It's healthy. 
The problem is they're not so good tasting unless you just swallow them. Grape seeds, you wouldn't believe the benefit of everyone ought to be eating grapes. Can you say something of that? You ought to, this, this ought to be the snack of choice. Put away the crackers, the cookies, put away the cake and the cupcakes, pull out the seeded grapes. You know, and here's the other thing, too, is you, you'll eat less because you'll be fooling around with all the seeds. <laughs> I thought about this, and I thought, wow, what a powerful image for you and I to realize that today, and I say this with a lot of love, but hopefully conviction, there's a lot of believers today who are sterile because they're not reproducing. John 15 reminds us of the importance of what the church needs to be about. And again, it's a great illustration of what all this means about growth and who we're supposed to be. And if you look there, starting at verse 1, it declares in John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. In other words, Jesus is the vine and God the Father is the owner of the vineyard. He cares for it. And here's the thing we're going to discover. The primary purpose, why do you have a vineyard? So you can look at it and enjoy how beautiful it is and walk out and kind of enjoy the, the smell of it and the look of it and just eat it? No, you have it so it can reproduce. Otherwise, you have a vineyard and then it goes away if it doesn't reproduce. And so by the very nature of this word, it is totally clear that we are called to reproduce and to be careful, secondly, who it is that you connect yourself to and who is the mine. Because by implication, this tells us that there are other binds that try to imitate Jesus. It goes on, verse 2, verse 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So here again, we have some, I have, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is you will be pruned by God. The bad news is you will be pruned by God. And really it's pretty obvious, right? If there's nothing going on and you're dead, you're going to get pruned. Because everyone, anyone who's a gardener knows that if you don't prune back your trees, you don't you know, take out all the branches that are sprouting up, the tree will not be healthy. I remember when I had apple trees. I had, we had three or four apple trees. I remember we were struggling because my apples, they were, they were like, man, the first couple of years, we got some really cool-looking apples. I mean, they were Bradley apples. I mean, they were like, man, big apples. And then over the years, they started to slowly kind of diminish in size. And I thought, man, what am I doing wrong? Because, you know, I thought I was doing everything I needed to do, you know. And so I went to a horticulturist and said, so what's going on with my apples? He said, when's the last time you pruned your apple tree? You're supposed to prune apple trees? I thought they just grew. And he said, bring me a picture of your apple tree. And I brought him a picture. He says, man, this is an overgrown apple tree. And he said, you need to prune. And he talked me through it. And I went and pruned it. Two years later, the apples got bigger again. And he described what was going on. The same kind of thing happens is that God prunes as if there's nothing going on. 
But if there is something happening, God still prunes us so that we can grow. And so that's valuable either way, and how important that is. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. One more time. I am the vine, that's Jesus. You, everyone here, are the branches. You are a branch. You understand that? Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm a branch. You are a branch. Let's make it clear, okay? <clears throat> so he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now, if you don't see this, do you see the progression of what takes place? It's kind of interesting when you look at and you study this, it says at the very end, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Okay, give me the next slide. So what you have here, our growth comes as a direct result of abiding the Lord. I want you to notice something. It starts with bear fruit. Next two sentences, bear more fruit. Last sentences, bear much more fruit. Isn't it interesting that in Scripture, it doesn't just start with bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. It says bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much more fruit. Do you think God's trying to communicate a message to us? That this isn't just about accepting what we have, but it's about growing. The church must grow and bear much more fruit. We're kind of going backwards. We've been bearing much fruit, the church, and now it's bearing more fruit, and now it's going to bear fruit. Before you know it, it's going to be sterile. And the church is in danger. This ought to raise something of an alarm in you. Across our country, the church is becoming sterile. And the only way, the only way, the answer, it's not a program, not a curriculum, but it's about abiding in Jesus. That's the only way to do this. You know, when you study about plants and vines and things, you find out, so what stops growth? It was interesting. I actually looked this up in a Sunset Gardening book that I have, and it says, what's the barrier? It, literally, it says in the book, what are the barriers for fruitfulness? So if you have fruit trees, what are the barriers? And it had a whole long list. I'm not giving you everything. But for neglect, disease, improper pruning, separation from the vine, and lack of attention. Can you believe that? Almost sounds like a message to the church today. I mean, think about it. So what's going to prevent us from growing? Neglect. What's neglect? Not having the Word of God flowing in you. When you don't nourish yourself properly, then that will inhibit the fruitfulness of the tree. Disease. Disease is a big thing. I mean, you're always, we're battling disease. What is disease? Sin. Sin that's not dealt with is a disease that will lead to what? Scripture tells us death. So if you don't take care of it, if you're not on it, then it's, the plant's going to die. Obviously, improper pruning. You can over-prune and you cannot prune enough. Right? I was not pruning enough my apple tree. I'll never forget, 18 years ago, I over-pruned Lois's lilac tree. I know one of these days I'll be forgiven. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I, I looked at that tree and I thought, you know, we just really need to prune that baby down. And I pruned it down, I killed it. I remember, I, I will never forget the look on my wife's face when we drove up. And I told, I was so, man, I've been working out in the yard. Man, look at how clean, I cleaned everything up, man. I just cut everything back. And, 
And she's looking around, just giving me, man, oh, this is a great job, Steve. Nice. And then she looked at her lilac tree, and she just, I'll never forget, she just froze. What did you do? Well, I pruned it. And she looked at me and said, you killed it. So about every five years, I buy a new lilac tree to make up for what has happened. <laughs> so you can overprune, right? You can kill things by doing too much. Uh, lack of attention. I mean, you got to give attention to stuff, right? You just, it just doesn't just grow, right? Have you noticed that? I mean, this summer, we looked out at our side yard, and we have, we have some uh, uh, blueberry bushes. We've got a number of really cool plants, and, and it was an obvious lack of attention. And Lois, we were standing, looking at our yard, thinking about it. You know, right at the beginning of summer, we got to clean things up, start getting ready. And she looked at the side yard, and she says, you know, you really need to put some attention on that side yard. I said, yes, I need to do that. Because everything was so overgrown, it, needed, it would die. It was dying. And the last one, separation from the vine. The reality is, if you get separated from that which sustains life, which is Jesus, that's why verse 5 says this, for without me, you can do nothing. If you separate, because you are the branch, if you separate from the vine, then you are going to die. Again, and he goes on, he talks about, look, this is our responsibility. This is your responsibility. You and I need to be responsible for our growth. So I want to be clear on something. If you're not growing, it is your fault. You cannot blame it on Pastor Steve or the church or whoever you feel you need to assign blame to because you are not willing to do what you need to do to be responsible for your growth. We will make available the opportunities necessary, but at some point, you have to step up and do it. And some of us are not growing because we are not responsible for ourselves. And it's not uncommon for people to come in and say, man, I, I'm really struggling right now, or I'm really dry right now, or I'm really feeling lost right now. And what they're really saying is, Pastor Steve, will you please do this for me because I don't want to do it by myself anymore. I'm going, man, I can't do this for you. But I can guide you. I can direct you to some great... And if you do these things, I, I can tell you something. You won't be dry. You will be refreshed. God will do amazing things in your life. And all of a sudden, these things are going to change. But it's your responsibility. And there's something so very important about that. Look, it says, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they're burned up, if, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So what we're talking about is what do we need to do in order to grow? Spiritual discipline, essentially. See, right now, a lot of us are thinking, could you, okay, now's the time, Pastor, give us the program. Hand us out the book. You know, walk us through this thing. And the, what do I need to do? Man, I want, this. so what you need to do is you pray, you read the Bible, you interact with other believers. You get into a small group. You get into a class if you need to. 
Um, you ask questions. You, you challenge yourself and others around you. And you get involved in a lifestyle. I, I was looking on our bookshelves of all the programs we've done over the past couple decades. There's a lot of them. And I got this thought. There's some really good stuff there. And not any one of them worked for everybody. But everyone thought their stuff was the best thing. You know what the best thing is? Whatever works for you. But we were waiting around for someone to give us the best thing. When it's already right there, it's, it's for you and I to discover. Like in my life, I've discovered there are times when, because of what's going on, I need a lecture time praying, a little more prayer. Sometimes a little more study. Other times a little more conversation with others. And I began to learn that I need all of this to some varying degrees, but I have to know myself and take care of myself and pursue those things as needed. And here's what I discovered. It works. And life is just, it, man, I, I'm still hanging out with Jesus. Life isn't perfect, but I'm aware enough of what I need I mean, just haven't you noticed sometimes you need to drink more water than normal? Or you might need to eat more protein than normal. Or, I mean, you adjust as necessary. And there are seasons in life where you have to make those adjustments. You might exercise more one season, exercise less than other seasons. I mean, I can go on and on of all the things rather than being it all or nothing. Here is some, some of you are killing yourselves because it's so much all or nothing. If I can't do it all just right, then forget it. I'm not going to do anything. I want to encourage you, don't go there. Because it's just not going to work. Because life is going to interrupt you. Things are going to change. Things are going to take place. What's required is a way of living and taking care of yourself and realize you water, you fertilize, you weed, you care, you, you harvest, and then you plant. And on and on it goes. And when you do that, it happens. See, the answer is simple. The answer is be the branch. You see a minute of that? Be the branch. Don't you love that? So powerful. Sounds very square, very spiritual. Very, very, very spiritual. Be the branch. You should, we, we need to make a poster. Be the branch. Turn to someone right now. Tell them, look at be the branch. Come on, tell them that. Be the branch. Isn't that heavy? Come on. You see. When you and I are the branch, that means we're connected to Jesus, right? And so if we abide in Jesus, here's what's going to happen. We're going to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to bear the fruit of reproduction. Both are going to take place. Matthew tells us, look at this is how you're supposed to live life. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There's something about God's Word that tells us that there's a lot going on that we need to do. What does that mean? So our good deeds. Scripture answers itself. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Some of you are too cozy in this world. You just, you, you just look, you know, I was talking to someone, they were saying, you know, I love my couch. It's so cozy. I don't want to ever get up and get out. Man, don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side 
and be there to join in the celebration when he arrived. I love how the message frames that. See, there's something about if you're the branch, the natural result of being connected to the vine is fruit. You are going to produce fruit. If you are not producing fruit, if you are not seeing something happen, then you are not connected. Jesus made it clear you'll know them by their fruits. You know, it's a Jewish metaphor. For us, it means all kinds of crazy things. But so they'll know them by their fruits. Well, here's what they're saying. People will know them by their conduct and their character. You see, if there is fruit, then it must be good and real and a representation of Jesus. If there is not, then it is not. And it's not the existence of the fruit that's the verification of Jesus, but the quality of the fruit that represents Jesus. So here's what this means, really simply put. You walk differently. You talk differently. You think differently. You respond differently. You even react differently. Not perfectly. No one's going to act perfectly. But when there is a bad response, you're quick to correct yourself and make the adjustment and apologize, ask for forgiveness, and then come back and do it the right way. Rather than have this stubborn kind of way of living that says, hey, that's just me, accept it. And I had that conversation a week ago, and this guy was looking at his wife, and they were having this conversation, and he just said these words, look, this is me. If you don't like it, then I don't know what you're going to do. Leave. I looked at him and said, are you nuts? He looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, you have a really lousy attitude. And if you don't change it, you're going to lose your marriage. And and I'm not even sure you're walking with Jesus right now. And he got really insulted by that. I said, no, really. I'm not sure you're walking with Jesus. Because if you were walking with Jesus, you wouldn't have such a stinking attitude right now. Man, it was intense in there. But you know what? That's what some of us need. Instead of being coddled, and carried around like nothing's wrong, and then guess what? Then you end up dead. What good is that? There's something about recognizing that we need to make changes and to become aware of the fact of what's really going on and realize that our conduct and our character has a lot to do with what's going on and how we live life. Let me tell you something. Your public life ought to be pretty close to your private life. And if they're not matching up, which I'm well aware that that doesn't happen very often, then there's something wrong. The challenge is to bring this thing together. I'm so convinced of what God wants to do in us. He wants us to grow. He wants you and I to become what he intended us to be, reproducers. If we don't get this and fall under the conviction of the Spirit of God for this, then you and I ought to fear for the future of the church and where things are going to end up. I believe that's part of why we have in 2 Timothy, you've heard me teach 
You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Don't make the mistake thinking somehow it's someone else's job. We are all responsible for this growing process. Let's do it together. Can you say amen to that? God's called us to seed the world around us. And grape seeds are really good for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we hear from your word the clear call and responsibility that we have. Lord, I pray that as we approach this season with Thanksgiving in front of us, Christmas, a new year, that, Lord, we will really get this, that we will capture the truth of this and we will become seed-bearing believers. Every one of us, regardless of where we are, can reproduce. I pray, Lord God, that those of us who have just become sterile, Lord, I still believe that there's real change that can take place. It needs to happen, and I pray, God, it will happen. You just take a moment and let the Spirit of God just speak to you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for what you would do in us. Lord, I I am so hopeful for what you would work in the life of our church, in each of us. Lord, our future is at stake. This is for our children and our grandchildren. Lord, this is for our great-grandchildren. And what we do here today will have an effect, a definite, clear effect on tomorrow. I pray that we would would hear that, listen to that, and I pray really respond to it. Lord, we give you control. We release, Lord God, we release our own egos. We release our pride. 
we humble ourselves before you to let you, Lord God, work in us. I pray, Lord, you'll break stubbornness, the unhealthy stubbornness, and help us see what's going on and work on the inside of us. And work, work out of us, Lord God, more of you. And I pray as we gather with families and friends that it becomes even more evident. Jesus. It becomes evident in our conversation around the table. It becomes evident in how we handle some of the difficult things that may come our way. It becomes evident in how we carry ourselves when we're in tough places. I pray, God, that we walk and talk and live as believers in Jesus. Amen.